Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's July 22nd, 1298. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Commonly repeated legend claims that the two-fingered up-yours salute derives from a gesture made by English longbowmen at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415, taunting the French who had threatened to cut off their index and middle fingers so that they could no longer draw their longbows. And while there's very little evidence for that, what is true is that English archers had a fearsome reputation throughout the medieval era, which dates back to this day in 1298, when England's army first used longbows against the Scottish to devastating effect. Well, first used them against the Scottish, but they'd been using them against themselves all the way through the civil wars of the 1260s. And actually, that's sort of the reason that the English and the Welsh were so much more proficient at this than the Scots. (laughs) Um, So Edward I of England was out in front Literally, this was very much the era where the king was front and centre leading the army. Behind him were people armed with the AK-47s of 1298. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because if this had been a game of rock, paper, scissors, then the English had the paper and the Scottish had the rock. So the thing that Scotland had in its favour, or rather we should say William Wallace's army of Scottish rebels, they had these things called shiltrons. I've heard them Mm. called phalanxes before. Mm. Phalanxes, it's one of those things you don't say out loud, is it? Uh, But it's basically... of hedgehog formation but they had all their pikes pointing upwards so that basically if you were cavalry or infantry the last thing you'd want to do is try and tackle one of these basically gigantic spiky mass walking towards you and the (laughs) arrows were the things that could really take effect because suddenly all of those guys with the pikes have all these arrows and they are flying so hard and fast that's the thing that really surprised me researching this was just understanding how powerful the longbows were they could pierce a suit of armor so you had all of these arrows raining down on you from such a distance that you couldn't really do anything to fight back and obviously of course then Wallace's troops were sort of trapped they couldn't really move anywhere because all these arrows were raining down on them so they were cut to pieces. So Wallace had positioned himself just behind this marsh hoping that that would kind of take some of the steam out of the cavalry coming towards him uh, and and placed his troops into these phalanx like shiltrons and then Edward's army came around that marsh in a classic kind of pincer movement and then stopped just shy of where the Scottish army were able to effectively launch their own arrows with their short bows and started raining their own arrows down in the Scottish direction onto these shiltrons. And in terms of exactly what made the longbow so effective, a fast bowman could fire 10 arrows a minute. However, because the bows required so much force to use, archers would pretty much use like modern artillery. So you'd rain down your opening volleys to deplete, demoralise, panic the enemy. And then they would switch to playing more of a sniper role on the battlefield as, as the proceedings went on. So I was thinking, these longbows are obviously extremely big that's what makes them different from what was called a self bow they've been used since the dawn of time pretty much and they're the sort of you picture like a robin hood bow and arrow the kind of just a bow yeah just like a a normal one yeah and a longbow according to ones that are recovered from the mary rose because obviously not many 
actually survived from the era being made of wood. Well, there is one in the British Museum which was discovered at Berkhampstead Castle. Shout out to the home counties. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the ones that have survived were between six foot and seven foot. So yeah. when it comes to the question of how did an average sized man, and especially at that time, the average size was, was shorter than it is today, how did they operate these massive bows? Well, apparently the secret to the English longbow success is that they would hold the string still by their heads and then they would push the bow out using their whole body weight rather than just wow. their arm strength. Yeah, I read that historians estimate that longbows had a draw weight of around 100 pounds, draw weight being the amount of you know weight it takes to pull the string before firing. And to put that into perspective, a current male Olympic archer's draw weight is approximately 48 pounds. There was a famous passage by a scholar and clergyman, Geraldus Cabrensis, in the 12th century, who mentioned that a Welsh arrow had gone through a mounted man's mailed leg and through the saddle as well, killing the horse instantly. Well, and you mentioned the horses as well, and that was another way that longbows were devastating on the battlefield, is that they would panic the horses, I mean, understandably. Mm. And this was one of the ways that they were particularly effective when the English were fighting against the French during the early stages of the Hundred Years' War, particularly at the Battle of Crecy. There was this duel between the longbow and the crossbow, and now the longbows had a longer range, they were more accurate. So they're coming down out of the sky, obviously causing panic among the soldiers, but also the cavalry too, and the horses are trampling everywhere. And you can imagine that's so effective, not only at breaking cavalry, charge that's coming at you but actually breaking the lines of your enemy when their own horses are rampaging backwards and forwards mm. but also the guys firing the bows aren't just squaddies this is something that young and proper englishmen were taught to do from a young age and i'm about to quote from bishop latimer who was giving a sermon to king edward himself when he said what i'm about to read but obviously in this era the only people who are reading and writing were clergy so that's yeah. part of the reason why those are the sources <laughs> we turn to but also it does show how high up the chain this reverence for archery went um here he is he said in my time my poor father was as diligent to teach me to shoot as to learn me any other thing and so i think other men did their children he taught me how to draw how to lay my body in my bow and not to draw with strength of arms as other nations do but with the strength of the body this is in a christian mm. sermon he said this i had my bows bought me according to my age and strength as i increased in them so my bows were made bigger and bigger for men shall never shoot well except they be brought up in it it is a goodly art a wholesome kind of exercise and much commended in physic and now we turn to him 515 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was actually just after this battle that Edward I banned all sports other than archery on Sundays. I think we touched on that in our episode about the history of gambling, how archery practice was mandatory for a lot of the late medieval and the Tudor era. And that continued pretty much until the development of firearms, which meant that bows rapidly fell out of favour for reasons that might seem obvious. But one less obvious one is the fact that it's really easy to fire a gun from cover, whereas to fire a longbow, you need at least enough room for your six or seven foot bow. Yeah, one other advantage of them that was a bit surprising to me was that they're also good for hunting and so were used to feed an army. And it was particularly useful for Edward, given that he was trailing Wallace through Scotland, trying to track him down in the first place. And Wallace, as he went, was practicing this kind of scorched earth policy of just burning everything behind them as they went so as to potentially starve Edward's army. So having this weapon that was also useful as a hunting implement must have been enormously useful. I'd never thought about that, but that is actually one area where it does have an advantage over a machine gun, isn't True. it? Because <laughs> yeah. you, know, you are rather you alerting the enemy, aren't you, if you're just behind the trenches and you <laughs> right. massacre a deer with a semi-automatic gun. And you sort of blow it up and yeah. <laughs> the meat is good for anything. <laughs> but actually, little quiet longbow... <laughs> 
you know, someone who knows what they're doing. You right. could feed yourself that way, couldn't you, without really alerting anyone to the fact you're there. Yeah. So for hundreds of years, you'd had generations of English men and boys who'd been trained to be crack shots with a longbow. But obviously, then with the coming of firearms, this mandatory practice ceased. And the majority of people, it seems, were pretty happy to see them go because then you sort of had a couple of hundred years when nobody was very interested in bows outside of uses for hunting, etc. Then at the end of the 18th century, and this is the Industrial Revolution is kicking into full gear. And so you get this, what was called Merry Old England, you know, this imagined past of Robin Hood and medieval feasts, etc. This was a really popular fantasy when you've got factories springing up everywhere, obviously. Mm. And so this was when recreational archery was revived and people started getting interested in it as a sport again. And it's amazing that it took basically 200 years for England to shed the cultural memory of having to drag themselves to archery practice all the time. They finally come <laughs> around to being like okay this is actually quite fun <laughs> well also because i think the longbow clearly as we've illustrated was such a pivotal weapon in terms of the power of england and the wars that have been fought here i mean this must be one of the biggest land battles ever fought on british soil right and it was so important to that and the development of britain as we know it now but the weapon themselves unlike kind of you know hunting rifles or even, you know, Second World War era planes and stuff like that can't really be fetishised because they're not very beautiful. They, mm. they don't get displayed on walls. They were used, and then when you'd finished with them, you burnt them and turned them into firewood. That's one of the reasons that there aren't so many in museums now. They were really functional, as much as anything to keep the price down and arm the proles, right? Mm. So there wasn't, I think, you say there wasn't a cultural memory there weren't the props. Like, people couldn't see them. When they stopped being used, they got developed into other things. And I think it took a while for people to reclaim them, in a way, as something that could be seen as a kind of noble weapon of the country next to your family crest. But also coming back to Falkirk, it's worth noting that this was really the end of William Wallace as the hero and saviour of Scotland, having really only played that role for a year. And Having lost about a third of his army, the rest of the the army just ran away into the hillside. This was sort of the death of him as being this master military strategist. And even though Edward didn't go on then to completely dominate Scotland, it was this massive fall from grace for Wallace himself. Although he still had his supporters, didn't he? He, uh, rather like Bonnie Prince Charlie, who we were talking about last month, actually, attempted at this point to then go and visit the Pope. Right. Um, to make his case to him. And like Flora MacDonald, who was assisting Bonnie Prince Charlie, then ended up running into pirates on the way. And in any case, the Pope was like, listen, man, I've heard the sermons. Longbows are awesome. You're out. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Well, what I was specifically thinking of was the denunciation rallies and the power grabs for local government. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.